I hope this morning you have been made aware from the moment that you walked inside God's house that he loves you. I have asked my staff to wear these shirts so you could read all about it. I hope somebody told you how much God loves you. And if you haven't heard that or got to say it, you can look at somebody right now, two or three somebodies, and say, do you have any clue how much God loves you? That means talk to each other, by the way. If you've come in here today discouraged, I hope you'll leave encouraged. If you've come in and you're down, I hope you'll be lifted up. If you've lost heart, I believe you're going to find it today. Because I believe God has you here specifically so that you can know where you stand with Him. How much you're loved and in how many ways, how perfectly He loves you. I I want to read a a text for you today. It's found in uh, Matthew chapter 4. And uh, it has to do with the nature of Jesus' ministry. And it's found in verse 23. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. Other translations, it says he healed every kind of illness for every kind of people. Now, the word every is a pretty strong word to me. Because every kind of means what? Every. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little about, you know, as we kind of got into love and Valentine's Day is, is coming up, guys and ladies. And, you know, I know guys are supposed to really jump in there and do something big, but, you know, we don't mind to get a gift either. Uh, if you don't have a Valentine to get a gift for, please, I'll stand in. And so we're going to, you know, we talked about marriage a little bit uh, and how difficult it is for men and women to understand each other. Remember that? And how women are complex and men are simple. Simple does not equate with stupid (laughs) all of the time. And, And how trouble arises because of that. So I want to give you some words that you should never use in marriage, okay? One of them, we've already talked about that word every. Have you ever said to your spouse, every time you get around me, you irritate me, or every time you do something, you mess up, or every this or every that? Well, there's one of them, but here's the three I want you to write down. The first is the word never. You never do anything right. You never clean the house. You never pick up after yourself. You never take care of the kids. You never this, you never that. Never means there's nothing good about you, right? Or you're sure not doing your part. The word always might fit there too. 
always you do this and you always do that and you're always in trouble, you always irritate me, you always get on my nerves, you always smell funny. I, I don't know what might be said in your relationship. So every, never, always, and one final word, fat. <laughs> I, I, I threw that in for me. I just didn't like to hear that. Don't ever say that. Scott, brother, you have just eaten a few more times than me. You're going to be okay. Be all right. All right. Words to never use. Every is a very powerful word. And, and did you see what it said in our text? It said Jesus healed every kind of illness for every kind of person. Now, I'm going to teach you a phrase today. We're going to say this three or four times. And when I get to where I'm going to say it, I'll cue you and you join me in saying this. If I were God, that's easy. Okay, let's say it together. If I were God, we're going to say it right now. If I were God and I would have been deciding who's going to get healed and who's going to get the touch of Jesus on their life, I don't know that I would have done it like Jesus did. Did you see the scripture said, everywhere he went with every kind of person, he healed every kind of disease. Now, that's good. That's good. I'm glad Jesus was a healer. I'm glad he didn't discriminate. But I want you to think about this. God knows everything about your past, right? You believe that? And God knows everything about your future. God has foreknowledge. Nothing in your life is going to surprise God. Nothing that happens in your life is going to catch God off guard. God, Jesus, go about healing every kind of disease for every kind of person. That means he healed fist that would punch. It meant he healed eyes that would later lust. It meant he healed feet, made those walk who were lame, who would walk away from him one day. God, in his foreknowledge, healed people who would do wrong. He healed bad people. Now that's good news for some of us today, isn't it? But God, even though he knows that you might use the blessing, the power of healing, the gifts that he gives you, even though he knows you might completely turn your back on him someday, still, still ministers to you, heals you, touches you, pours out his grace to every person and every disease. He heals. He touches. He loves. There's another passage of Scripture that, that to me seems to parallel this, and it's found in Luke 17. You remember this story. It happened as he went to Jerusalem. It's in verse 11, if you're following along, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, 
And he entered a certain village, and he met ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. They were a part of a leper colony. They lifted up their voices and shouted for Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourself to the priest. And so it was when they went, they were declared cleansed and were set free, uh, as it were, from the leper colony. And one of them, say that with me, one of them, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. He fell down on his face, feet of Jesus, thanking him, Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise and go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Now I want you to picture that scene. There was no more desperate lot in life than to be a leper in Jesus' day. You could not be around your family. You were ostracized. You were quarantined, and you were placed in these pitiful colonies among others who were sick. So it is no wonder that when Jesus came near that leper colony, that there were at least 10 of them shouting and and imploring him to come and to help them. Jesus, looking at them, his mercy was poured out on them, his heart went out to them, and he healed them. And one of them came back and thanked him. And the other nine, they didn't. They chose not to. Now, say this with me. If I, you forgot many of you, didn't you, already? If I were God, I wouldn't have done it that way. Right? I would have said, you know what? I'm going to heal you guys, and one of you is going to come back and thank me, and the nine of you I already know are going to dance right on home, and you're not going to care what I did. You're just going to enjoy the grace and not thank the giver of the grace, the healing. And I'm not going to heal you. I'm not going to help you. I already know you don't care, so I'm not going to help you. If you're not going to say thank you, I'm not going to help you. You ever? I've got a bunch of kids, and... Uh, Every once in a while, we'll gather together as a family, and I will take all of them out to eat. Every once in a while, we'll go to eat. And maybe a time or two, one or two of them will say to me, thank you, Dad. Thanks for buying my dinner. Can we have dessert? (laughs) they're, They're grateful. And Maybe the vast majority of them aren't. Well, when I get ready to go again, I'm going to trim my list. Amen? You trimmed your list? How many of you said, I did something for that family and I never got a card? Anybody said that? I I went out of my way for them and they never said a thing. How many of you have loaned somebody money and they never paid you back? Whoa, I want to meet you. (laughs) I mean, you know, if we don't feel gratitude, or if we anticipate that that won't be coming, 
we're not likely going to do something good for somebody. But God, in his immense love, looked into the eyes of ten lepers and knew immediately that nine of them would not express their gratitude in any significant way, and he healed them anyway. Can I tell you that's good news? For you and me who take a lot of what God does for granted. Can I tell you that's good news for some of us who've never said thank you for the myriad of blessings that he's poured out on our life. He heals ungrateful people. He blesses ungrateful Well, that takes me back to our story from last week. In case you weren't here, I'll catch you up. Jesus had three friends, one a brother, two sisters to that brother who lived in Bethany. Lazarus was the guy's name. Mary and Martha were their sisters. If you read about Mary and Martha, completely different ladies. Jesus loved them all. They loved him. It was as if they were family. And Lazarus got sick. Mary and Martha penned a letter, sent it to Jesus saying, the one that you love is sick. Jesus received the letter, and and, and he said to his disciples, my friend Lazarus is sick. We're going to go to Bethany. But before we go, we're going to hang out here for a while. He delayed. He delayed three days allowing Lazarus to die. Now, I don't know why he delayed three days. I think I have a good idea. In the Jewish tradition, back in the time of Jesus, if, if you died because there were no hospitals or coroners or anything like that, every once in a while they would think someone had died, and a day or two later they'd jump back up. Kind of spooky. And so Jesus knew that they wouldn't bury Lazarus for three days. He wanted everybody to know that Lazarus was really dead. He didn't want there to be a shadow of a doubt. And so he waited. And three days later, Jesus did one of the most spectacular miracles in all of Scripture. And Lazarus came forth from the tomb. This passage of Scripture that I'm going to read right now is what what happens when Jesus gets to town and encounters Mary and Martha. It's in John eleven thirty two. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit. You ever groan in your spirit? You just see something that breaks your heart and it's almost like you can't help it. Just, just troubles you. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then read verse 35. Let's, act, let's quote that verse together, want to? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Now, Jesus comes to town. He already has a plan of action. He had waited and allowed Lazarus, who was very sick, to die. 
He sees Mary and Martha. Bible says the other Jews who, who, who loved Lazarus were there too. And they're in grief mode. All of us has experienced someone who's very close to us dying, and we know the pain. We know the, 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 the just misery of, of what they're going through now. And the Bible says that Jesus wept with them. He wept with them. I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. Say this with me. If I were God, I would have said, hey guys, here's the handkerchiefs. This is about to be over. We're going to the graveyard and Lazarus may be graveyard dead, but he's going to come out of the tomb. He's going to smell bad for a while, but he's going to be okay and he's going to outlive all of us. That's what I would have said. Dry the tears, right? Because I know the rest of the story. But that's not what Jesus did. He seems here to waste his tears, to waste his emotion. He's crying over somebody who's going to bring glory to God in a spectacular fashion, who may be dead, but is going to be alive again in 20 minutes. And he cries. It's kind of a mystery. Why would Jesus cry when he knows what's going to happen next? Let me tell you why I think he cried. What makes perfect sense when you think about it. Because though Jesus knows your past, Though God is well aware of everything right and everything wrong, everything good, everything bad in your past, he was loving you the whole time. And right now in this moment, in this moment, right now, God loves you. He loves you. And when your heart breaks... Though he knows the rest of the story, his heart breaks for you. When you struggle in your marriage, and though he knows the outcome, his heart breaks for you. When you fight and do battle against an addiction, though he knows the outcome, his heart breaks for you. When you are in the process of grief, though he knows a better day is coming, his heart breaks when you're sick and don't know if you're going to get well, he already knows. And even if it's healing here, his heart breaks for you. He weeps with those who weep. He mourns with those who mourn. He laughs with those who laugh. His love is in the now. His love is now where you're at. When you need him, his love is now. He is so moved by our tears and pain that even though he knows the outcome, he weeps with us. Wow, that is incredible love.
If I were God, let's say it together. If I were God and I knew somebody who was about 27. Anybody here 27? Just a few of us. And I knew that when they were 42, they were going to do something absolutely, stupidly rebellious. They were going to just really go bad and crazy. I'd be mad at them when they were 27. You don't know what you're about to do. You're praying to me, and I know you're going to do something stupid, and nothing I say or do is going to change your mind. I know you're going to do it because I know everything, and 15 years from now, you're going to tick me off. I don't know that I'd even talk to you for those 15 years if I had the knowledge of what you're going to do. Let me put this in human terms. How many of you are, are now or have been or thinking you're going to be a parent? And my best guess that those of you who had the strength to lift your hands, if I were to ask you, do you plan to discipline your children? You'd say, sure thing, brother. <laughs> right? And why do we discipline children? Number one, they're bad. Right? They weren't born good, were they? No way. They have to be reformed quickly. Quickly. So number one, they're bad. Number two, we get mad. I've seen some mad parents. I've seen it right here in this church. But you know why? Probably a more compelling reason is because we as parents have just enough wisdom to understand that if we don't correct behavior in the here and now, that our foreknowledge is that it's not going to turn out to be a very good situation for that child as an adult, right? Amen? Would we all agree on that? We have enough brain power, foreknowledge, capacity to see that, and so we discipline. God, who has perfect foreknowledge, at times disciplines us. God, who has perfect foreknowledge, loves us in the midst of that discipline, already anticipating what's next. Here's how we say this. God will not inflict your future on you. He loves you enough that even though he anticipates, knows, and can see your future failures, he's not going to hold it against you now. It's not going to change how he loves you now. I want you to write this down. He will heal you now. He will love you now. He will minister to you now, and he will be with you now. We're going to put that up on the screen in case you didn't get it. He will love you now, heal you now, minister to you now, and be with you now. Nothing you've done and nothing you're going to do can rob you of God's love, his presence, and his power in your life. He will weep with you today when you weep, and he'll laugh with you today 
We talked a minute ago about, about being a parent. I think here's a lesson that we as parents and those of you who are going to be one day can learn from God. When, when I think about raising my children, I always think in terms of what I was looking forward to and sometimes at what I was looking back at. Now, you get this. When, when they're little, you're thinking, I can't wait to the day when they can walk, right? You're looking forward to that day. And then you look back and say, I wish they couldn't. <laughs> you look forward, you're thinking, I can't wait till they can talk. And here, here's the big one right here. I, I can't wait until they're potty trained. And then till they can wipe themselves, you know, you know just all that stuff. And, and, and I can't wait till they get to go to preschool, till they get to, 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 to ride the bus to school. I, I can't wait till, till, till they can find a boyfriend or a girlfriend. I, I can't wait for this, and on and on and on. And then as time goes by, you're, you're kind of now living in the past and you're saying to your kids, remember when you used to really love me? <laughs> And you listened to me, and when you were little and we did this, remember that good time we had at King's Isle, or whatever, you know, we're looking back and we're anticipating what's next. So much, I'm afraid, that we forget to live in the now. So here's my encouragement today. Whether you're a parent or, or you're just here, you know, just learn to enjoy the day. Learn to love and be loved and experience love. Learn, learn to walk with God in the now, in the moment. There's a verse in, 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 in the book of 1 John chapter 4. It says a lot of things, but here's the heart of that verse. Perfect love cast out fear. Perfect love cast out fear. I've talked to some of you enough to know that there are some of you who are anticipating great amounts of doom and misery in your life. You're afraid of this, you're afraid of that. If I were to take you up in a high place, you'd be afraid of that. If I were to close you up in a small place, you'd be afraid of that. You're afraid that, uh, that uh, white castles are going to run out and they're not going to be anymore. You're, you're, you're afraid that it's going to snow this week and your kids won't be in school. You're afraid that, you know, I, I, a, a million things we fear. Here's what God says. I love you perfectly. I know the future. You get that? I know the future. I love you perfectly. I am setting you free from fear. Oh, my goodness. If you believe that, if you believe God means that, some of you are going to have to fill a lot of time that you used to spend worrying. Perfect love. Cast out fear. Cast out fear. You have been set free. Casting out fear is setting you free. 
You have been set free by the perfect love of God. My mom and daddy loved me. Uh, I think in heaven now, they're still loving me. I can feel that from time to time. I grew up in a kind of an environment that I wish all of you could have. Not that I'd want you to turn out like this, but I got a good start. I, I, I didn't have to worry about that. They demonstrated their love for me in many tangible ways. If I needed something, I got it, whether it was something I wanted or something I wished they would have passed. In other words, they beat me a few times. It was legal then. But I never had to doubt. They had my best interest at heart, and they loved me. Matter of fact, that's one of the last things my dad told me. And yet their love was not perfect. They had faults and failures. None of us have the capacity to love anybody perfectly. But God does. I want you to think about that for a moment. Just just let it sink in. God loves you It's everything you'll ever need. His love was so perfect that he died for you. So amazing that he died for you. Even if he knew there would be those who would reject him. He died for you. I don't know what you're facing in life. I don't know what breaks your heart. I don't know what drags you down. But I know God loves you perfectly. And I know that ultimately that's bigger and vastly more important than anything the world can throw at you. So we're going to offer this moment of response to God. Some of you need to claim that love for the first time. He's been loving you all along, but you've ignored it. And you need to know that he's your father, your savior, and you're headed to heaven. Some of you are going through some tough things. In fact, your days are so miserable, it's hard to remember that you're loved. You need to come and fall on your knees today and say, thank you for loving me, even when I've forgotten it even when I don't see it. Some of you need to pray for how you love other people. You've hurt other people. You need a bigger dose of perfect love. But whatever God asks you to do, my friend, you come and do it today. That's what this altar and this time of invitation is about. Come share in communion. Perfect love died for you. But don't just ignore how much you're loved because ultimately it's all that matters. Pray with me. Father, this is your time. We're here because you brought us here. We're here because we desperately need to be reminded 
of how much you love us and how much we need you. So as we sing and as others pray, I pray that all of those who need you today will rush to this altar, will experience grace and forgiveness, be changed, blessed, and be strengthened by your perfect love. And fear will be a thing of the past. In the name of Jesus.